My career has really been based on a tremendously rewarding ability to tell people they can reverse disease by eating this healthfully. And I've had multiple years of shows on public television in the United States and have hundreds of thousands of people by collection of tapes and books. And, and I've got like thousands and thousands of success stories of people who reverse serious illnesses, including, you know, certain cancers. You know, I've been very blessed to have a um, this ability to get the message out to so many hundreds of thousands of people across the United States and Canada. Welcome to the Picture of Wealth, a podcast all about living more of your life now, yet being responsible for your future. Lifestyle experimenter, wealth scientist, and financial coach Dustin Service shares life hacks, wealth tips, and interviews successful entrepreneurs on how they're thriving in happiness, purpose, and prosperity. That is the voice of Dr. Joel Furman, who is the founder and discoverer of the Nutritarian Diet. And again, this is a more of an eating style versus some sort of fad diet. It is a way to eat. It is a mindset around food and nutrition to extend your life and hopefully uh, prevent you from any sort of illness, disease, and give you the nutrients you need to build a, a body for, lo- for the long term. And again, wealth is health which is something we are fascinated with. And Joel gets into all sorts of stories around what foods to eat, how to prepare them. He gets into his children. And if he was, you know, again, 35 years younger and having children again, what he would teach them to enable them to have a great uh, relationship with nutrition and food and what that's going to look like for the rest of someone's life. So I also uh, get him to break down a keto diet versus this diet what sort of diet to use for CrossFit. He talks about oils, animal products, and what is nutritional science. Again, he uh, experienced a, um, a figure skating accident in, uh, in, in the championships, the world championships, a long time ago, and he had to uh, get himself healthy. So he explains that story. So lots of, I'll say, wealth nutrition stacked into this episode. Here we go. Dr. Joel Furman, I'm excited to have you on the show today and talk nutrition. We're in our uh, second episode of our nutritional series or season. And what are we talking about? Longevity eating, healthy eating for the brain, healthy eating for selfishly for me for CrossFit. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about a bunch of things, uh, healthy for the heart, healing the body. Thank you very much for being on the show today. My pleasure. Excited to talk to you today. Well, I think, uh, well, I'm excited to talk to you. And after a little bit of research, I did find an analogy that I couldn't uh, just, I couldn't have made this better myself. But I think in a TED talk, you talked about, you know, you know, why would you hit yourself with a hammer and then go to the doctor and get your, your painkillers to deal with the pain? Why wouldn't you just not hit yourself with the hammer in the first place? And I think that couldn't be said any better than the corner of the world we live in now where it's very... I don't want to steal the words out of your mouth, but reactive and we're not, you know, maybe doing preventative things. We're trying to put band-aids on, on things that have happened instead of going right to the root of the problem and saying, what could we have done different uh, in that? So let's open up the conversation with what, you know, the nutritarian diet is and how beneficial it is for people and, and what, what that analogy of the hammer and the diet have in common. Well, first of all, the nutritarian diet is not a blue zone diet. It's not a diet that just, just, you know, advances lifespan by six to eight years. It's really scientifically designed to pick the best quality foods, the foods that the best, most powerful anti-cancer effects on human and and longevity or say anti-aging effects to promote human longevity. And what I'm saying right now 
is the diet that maximizes human longevity with the most powerful anti-cancer effects and anti-aging effects have the best effects when we use it therapeutically to reverse disease. So when people have diabetes, type 2 diabetes, diabetes goes away. They no longer have type 2 diabetes. They follow a nutritarian diet. They no longer have headaches. Their psoriasis goes away. Their rheumatoid arthritis is gone. Their ulcerative colitis, their multiple sclerosis goes away. And, you know, their, high, their blockages in their heart are, you know, open up and their blood pressure goes back to normal. Their cholesterol goes back to normal. They get off their drugs. And I actually... Um, you know, as you know, I run a retreat here in San Diego where people fly in from different parts of the world and stay with me because maybe they're, maybe they, um, read a book or heard something about it, but they're not able to deal with their food addictions and make the transformational change they need to make. But most people don't have to come to stay with me for months to get well. They watch videos, they read books, they learn from me on, you know, on the website or something, and they incorporate, you know, the best and most comprehensive view of modern nutritional science to do all the right things to maximally get the benefits. Because I say the, the money's in the last 5%, which means that you could be on a pretty good diet, but if you really want to burst disease and get rid of your multiple sclerosis or maximally recover from early stage prostate cancer or something, it's best to just do it all the way. And, and also when you're a food addict and even overweight, dabbling in these foods that keep you addicted and drive you into overeating behaviors are like an alcoholic going out drinking on the weekend. It just drives them to binge. And it's better to do it all the way. So a nutritarian diet is a diet designed through epidemiologic studies, scientific studies, and clinical evidence to be most lifespan promoting for those advocates and you know health enthusiasts who want to do what's best. But also my career has really been based on and tremendously rewarding ability to tell people they can reverse disease by eating this healthfully. And I've had multiple years of shows on public television in the United States and have hundreds of thousands of people by collection of tapes and books. And, and I've got like thousands and thousands of success stories of people who reverse serious illnesses, including, you know, recovered from even certain cancers. But really, but it's been a tremendously, you know, I've been very blessed to have a um, this ability to get the message out to so many hundreds of thousands of people across the United States and Canada and to be able to impact their lives in a positive way. And I don't think a nutritarian diet should be seen as even controversial because the evidence, the evidence overwhelming nutritional excellence and the benefits of nutritional excellence, you know, are overwhelming today. Well, I, you know, you set that up perfectly. I, I think that, you know, on anyone that is uh, doing advice, uh, based or you know selling something and in basing in our research, uh, you know you, you it's the internet is a is a brutal place and people can beat you up and I, I see a parallel with you know there's there's we're going to get into keto and you know versus this and that and one of the things like investing nutrition programs or process it's like investing you know the best eating plan is like saying the best investment is it's so specific to certain people and it needs to be researched and you know do you have the traits to fit uh you know this sort of program and 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 then it may be the best but it isn't like uh you know for you know investing that one thing is better than the other it's it needs to be vetted and make sure it fits with people's goals so maybe dive into that keto versus nutritarian diet i think in my old bodybuilding days uh you know high protein low carb you know you're in the cut phase uh you know, no carbs, 
Uh, is, is this good for us, like high protein, no carbs? See, like you said earlier, you know, you get a lot of information and conflicting information, all types of different opinions on the Internet. But, there, but I don't really see this as being a, as controversy here because we have um, more than 20 epidemiologic studies showing high-protein diets, shorten lifespan, and are dangerous. And just in the last three years, we'd have four excellent studies with many hundreds of thousands of people showing that as animal protein goes up in the diet, show those premature mortality, early life death. And, and that ketos are the most dangerous diet you can be on for long for and when you're looking at lifespan. In other words, the most early life deaths occurred in people following keto diets, even than almost any other diet. And carbohydrate restriction was the factor associated with early life deaths. And most of the studies of, of late that are have the most credence, and we give a study more credence if it, if it doesn't just look at soft endpoints, like it lowers cholesterol, you drop some body weight, your blood pressure went down, your sugar looks good. Those are called soft endpoints because they're temporary markers that may reflect better lifespan. But we consider a heart endpoint, we're actually looking at lifespan, whether a person actually died of a heart attack or had cancer or died of cancer, and what age was that their death. So maybe a lower cholesterol with a statin drug may result in a longer lifespan, but we don't know that because maybe those statin drug will increase cancer more and have other weakens the heart. So when you have a heart attack, it's more likely to kill you even in a heart attack. So in other words, we don't know until we follow many hundreds of thousands of people for decades to their death to see the, to see the real data on really of statin drugs extended lifespan. And we look at those data, we find that statin drugs um, only help approximately one in a thousand people, the very low effects. But I'm saying right now, we have that data on diets today, um, especially in the last couple of years. And we see that more plant protein in the diet is one of the key factors. More foods that are high in plant protein is the key factors to extend human longevity. And foods that are higher in animal protein shorten human lifespan. And we can talk about all the mechanisms involved via which, via which animal protein raises IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor one that accelerates aging or produces more gram-negative bacteria, more pro-inflammatory um, um, compounds like TMAO, trimethylamine oxide, which is a pro-inflammatory um, chemical that inflames the endothelial lining of blood vessels and leads to more atherosclerosis and heart attacks, or whether it's we can go on to you know, various mechanisms which saturated fat blocks insulin receptors, but we know the hallmark and we pretty much know how to target the nutritional density of a diet and, and so all these things play a role with maintaining, with slowing aging and maintaining muscle and bone mass with aging. And I think that um, the keto people and the keto crowd, it's sexy, it's macho, people wanna to go to the gym and build muscle. But, I, but we now know that the shortest lifespan of any occupation in North America are linebackers on football teams and powerlifters on people who are trying to access larger muscular size by eating more animal protein, maybe taking, maybe some of them took steroids, I don't know. But the point is, is that they, they sacrificed their lifespan by trying to achieve excessive largeness. And what's interesting is I was on the, um, I was a world-class athlete on the United States world figure skating team back in the 1970s. And, and I was competing around 1972, 76 in, those, in that era. And almost all the members of the East German Olympic team in 1972 are dead today. 
they've almost all died because of because of, because of substance abuse. Or? Yeah, because of they could they took drugs, they took steroids, they tried to maximize performance. I don't know why they're all dead, but but I'm just demonstrating that. Being fit doesn't guarantee with longer lifespan. People do a lot of crazy things to increase their fitness. You know what I mean? Like even taking drugs like they did in, East, in those communist countries back then. You know what I mean? The performance enhancing drugs. Look at them. They're almost all dead today. You know what I mean? Um, but I think if, if you feel you're getting um, enhanced performance of the keto diet, you still have a lot of caution involved here because I'm saying that these key foods that are rich in plant proteins are also rich in a host of protective phytochemicals and antioxidants, and they predominantly are green vegetables, beans and legumes, and nuts and seeds. Beans, greens, and nuts and seeds contain, are rich in plant proteins and also contain uh, thousands of, of um, longevity enhancing and anti-cancer phytochemicals. And our diet has to be based on those foods. I'm saying that um, my acronym to help people remember the six most powerful foods that prevent cancer is G-bombs, G-B-O-M-B-S. And that stands for greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds, like flax seeds, chia seeds, hemp seeds, sesame seeds. So unless you're eating daily, or at least mostly regularly, including a lot of these onions and mushrooms and beans and greens in your diet, then you're just fool. You're not on an excellent. You're not on a, a good quality diet, and the, and to the extent you take these phytochemicals off the plate and crowd them out with processed foods and bagels and pizza and chips and burgers and animal products and oils like olive oil, the more you put more empty calories in your diet, the less caloric pie you have left to eat all these nutrient-rich foods. And I'm saying that your lifespan is affected by this concept of moderate caloric restriction, maintaining low body fat in the context of high micronutrient intake. And so we're trying to get a lot of micronutrients in a minimal amount of calories. And I'm also saying we flood our body with micronutrients, including all the discovered nutrients and the known nutrients, but also many unknown nutrients that are present in colorful plants. I'm saying, you know, so when we flood our body with thousands of nutrients and fibers, it suppresses the appetite and makes us satisfied with less calories. So we can get a, a diet with a high nutrient per calorie density and our cells in our body then get a high level of nutrients per density of our cells. So we need nutrient density in our cell and our tissues. And we measure that nutrient density in people's tissues. We can measure with a skin carotenoid score. We can measure with blood work. We can measure nutrient density on, in tissues today. And we find that people, um, you know, eating diets that are high in processed foods or meats or animal products have, are very deficient. They're high in pro-inflammatory substances, but very deficient in the antioxidants and phytochemicals that we need to slow aging of the brain and aging of bodies of the body's tissues. I think that's uh, so say so in uh, as you get older, more mature, say no to E-bombs and yes to G-bombs. I like that uh, G-bombs analogy here. Here's something that I think about vitamins and supplements and, uh, you know, is, is the reality, I'm a, you know, when I take supplements and you read something, you're like, oh, I need to take that. Uh, how, you know, for one, it's like, how do I really know I need to take that? And next is, you know, am I going to take this forever? 
and the expense that goes with it. So sometimes it's easier in my life to justify taking something. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, even as simple as vitamin C or something. But sometimes uh, I find that, you know, remedies and, and, and the supplements are expensive. So then I, I will, ah, I don't know if I could take that. Um, you know, so where is the balance with refining your supplements to just what you need and not wasting money? Or do you have any comments on that? Yeah, I, that's kind of like my job. You know, that's what I advise people on, you know, to exactly what to do and target what they need. And very often we use blood tests, not frequent blood tests, but, you know, every five years or so, at least checking your blood to make sure you're getting what you need. But the main issue here is this, is that the things that we get in great amounts from a healthy diet, why do we need to supplement vitamin C and and vitamin E and vitamin K1. And what do we need to supplement beta carotene and lutein and lycopene and cryptoxanthin? What are we supplementing folate and all these things that we're getting tons of from a good diet? Get it from your food. You're much better off getting it from the food. The question is, what are the beneficial things we're not getting from the food? We'll talk about that in a second. But before we do, I want to say that conventional supplements containing folic acid, vitamin A, and beta carotene increase the risk of cancer and shorten lifespan. Because folic acid is not the same as folate. You get in the, sup- in the folate, you get in real food. You can't supplement with folic acid and think you're getting the benefits of folate. And folic acid penetrates cells and the body can't shut it out. And folic acid is linked to increased risk of prostate and breast cancer in many scientific studies. And then so is beta carotene, so is vitamin E fragments. There's, you know, you take just the one vitamin E fragment, but the probably the most dangerous supplement you could take is vitamin A, acetal and retinal palmitate. So I'm saying it's not only knowing what to take, it's making sure your supplement doesn't contain those substances that could be shortening your lifespan, mixed in with some things that are good, like vitamin D and K2. So now let's talk about once you're eating, let's say, a salad every day, you know, with mushrooms and unrawed onions and scallions on it, and you're having, um, you know, enough vitamin C and greens, and enough fruit, you know, good level of fruits and fibers in your diet, then what is your diet missing? And what could you benefit supplementing wise? And we'll talk about that. But one thing is, um, most of us, especially as we age, need more B12 and plant-based eaters. And the lower you lower animal products in your diet or take them away completely to go on a total, a total um, vegan diet, then the more B12 becomes absolutely necess- necessary because B12 is not present sufficiently in plant foods to, to sustain long life and good health. So when you are a person eating a, a diet that's mostly plants or all plants, there are certain sub- there are certain um, individual nutrients we get in a better form from animal products that we need to supplement because we're not eating much animal products. And they include B12 and K2 is hard to access on a, because it's really a, a product of fermented cheeses. It's really good for you to take K2. And so we take that in a supplemental form, but um, vitamin D can be, main, can be monitored with a blood test. Some people need a lot, need more and some people don't need it. Uh, and um, and then there are certain things that are good to take if you're not using a lot of salt, like iodine in a, in a moderate amount, not a huge amount. And so certain things we're looking for in a supplement uh, and zinc, because zinc is critical, is absorbed poorly from plants. It's absorbed. So usually vegans and plant eaters need to have about need more zinc than an animal person eating regularly animal product might eat. But the most but, but the most critical supplement that I'm really discussing to most of my listeners who know about these kind of things that they follow with a blood test to know how much to supplement and whether they need to supplement needlessly or not is omega-3 fatty acids. And that is the blood test that determines whether you need that supplement or not is called an omega-3 index. And because we've had a lot of studies come out lately that show that low omega-3 index 
is associated with shrinkage of the brain and cognitive impairment in later life. And if I'm claiming that the normal lifespan for humans is between 97 and 107 years old, and we're living about 100 years old in great health with our full mental faculties intact, and we don't want to shrink the brain and get demented and live longer and not have our full mental abilities and intelligence and creativity. So we're looking at how to, ma how to maintain that brain health. And we're saying that the immune system, the ability to fight cancer and maintaining brain health and cognition and intelligence that we're looking for an omega-3 index above 5.2. And sometimes people get that level adequately with no supplements. And sometimes they can take a small supplement and sometimes they need a little higher dose. It depends. There's a huge variability on individuals based on their ability to convert ALA, the alpha-linolenic acid that's in walnuts and hemp seeds into EPA and then DHA is very genetically determined. But in any case, um, I do sell on my website a vegan EPA and DHA that's made that we keep in the, in, we package it in glass in a dropper and we keep it in the refrigerator in our, in our warehouse. When people order it, they're getting a fresh product. So you're not getting something that was rotten. And the reason I started doing that is because as a doctor specializing in nutrition, and advocating people following plant-based diets. I, and I had, you know, a huge experience working with the plant-based community, the vegan community throughout, you know, more than two, more than 30 years, finding that um, an overall, uh, you could say an unusually high incidence of dementia, even though people were living longer, it seemed like even though they were living in their nineties, they weren't maintaining their full mental faculties. And some of them got Parkinson's disease. So I would take blood and try to look for the cause and, and check their omega-3 index. And subsequently, that it became an interest of mine to check those studies. And when I started recommending that, the, a lot of the ones on the market would have high levels of rancidity and cause burping and indigesting and have a foul taste. So we started getting the vegan DHA and, and, and having it shipped to us in refrigerated trucks and keep it under refrigeration, packing it in dark glass to keep freshness, and then supplementing people appropriately as to their needs to make sure that they are in that ideal range. So I particularly worked with a tremendous amount of vegans and the people in the plant-based community, assuring that they're not going to be missing anything that they would have received if they were eating more animal products, particularly seafood, you know. So in the, in the DHA and the EPA, and I'll get a bit nerdy about Omega because I do know uh, about it, the, those are the two main things that you're always looking for in an Omega-3 or Omega fish oil, you know, vitamin container, correct? Correct. That's like the EPA and DHA. That's right. So the body can convert about 5% of ALA into EPA, but only about 1% of ALA is converted to DHA. It first has to make it to EPA first, and then it could make some of the EPA into DHA. So it's a, a small amount you convert, and some people hardly convert at all, you know? Right. So is the fish oil, is there waste in those tablets that, you know, and you buy it in the store, or is, is it different? And is it different than what's in there, or has it just been refined more? Like when you're talking raw stuff, like DHA and EPA. Right, exactly. That it's the same ingredients, the same EPA and DHA are in the fish oil, and the same EPA and DHA are in the vegan version made from algae, because right. the fish ultimately get it from algae. This is, we're thinking that the fish oils have more contaminants in them, but also they're coming from fish versus a plant and that are grown in a laboratory condition. And, yeah, and, and furthermore, um, fish oils, generally people are taking too much, too high a dose. 
And as you get to a high, too high a dose, we're concerned too that they have immune suppressing effects. We have, we give them, they have anti-inflammatory effects. We might give them to a person with um, ulcerative colitis, for example, in a high dose fish oil or a high EPA for depression. But for regular people, we don't want them to take more than they need and push the level too high. There's kind of like a sweet spot in the middle, not be deficient, be from, have like five to nine in your index and don't push up to 10 to 12 with too many fish oils either because too much could also have a negative effect. And with mo- a lot of nutrients, people don't realize too much iodine could be negative. Too much vitamin D could be negative too. We want to be in that narrow range in the, in the normal range, not deficient and not excessive. And, you know, people want to argue everything. They want to say no to everything. So some people say omega-3 and fish oils are bad for you. And they'll pull out studies showing people taking huge doses and show they're bad. And then other people say, well, taking vitamin D isn't good. And they'll say, but I'll say, you know, but, but the people arguing fish oils bad aren't looking at the deficiencies that show that this deficiencies put people in trouble. We, just because too much is bad doesn't mean being deficient is good. We can do that with any nutrient. Just because too much in vitamin D is bad doesn't mean being deficient in vitamin D is good. We got to hit that sweet spot in the center, you know? Are you are you familiar? So this is uh, you know it's kind of funny, but for a long time uh, I seriously thought that vitamin C as like the thing you get in the drugstore or the you know pharmacy, you get a bottle of vitamin C's, was always derived from someone basically juicing an orange, getting the juice, and then extracting the vitamin C and then producing a pill. But later in life, I've I think I've learned that you can synthetically make vitamins. Correct. Because vitamin C is not actually what it's called. It's a big, long... It's ascorbic acid. Right. right. So- it's made in the lab. But, but I don't, you know, we're getting tons of these nutrients in the right amount from food. So it's not something that you really need to supplement with. No, but I know. But person- so for these other vitamins, like you're talking about vitamin D, fish oils, all these things, like the, can, can everything be synthetically made or is it, it's not that broad? Like for vitamin D, is that a long word too? Like it's... Yes, it's um, 25-hydroxy. Um, yeah. In, in other words, what I'm saying right now is that um, vitamins are generally synthetically made to concentrate them sufficiently to fit into a pill so people can gotcha. supplement with them. Because f- food has, is too low a dose. You couldn't fit it in a little tiny pill. Now, there are some supplements claim they're food-based, they're organic, they're, not, they're extracting them from the food, but they're scamming people. They're putting some food in the supplement and then adding the synthetic to it and you're claiming it's food-based and it's not, or they're taking the synthetic supplement and putting it in a bacteria supernatant and, and taking some of the supernatant off the bacterial and, and claiming it's food derived. And they just added synthetic vitamins to a bacterial supernatant. So, so we're talking here about um, people are tricked or scammed into thinking they're paying more money for a vitamin because it's supposedly non-synthetic. And I'm saying it's all bull. They're all synthetic. And there's nothing wrong with taking a synthetic vitamin. Right. Except for certain supplements like folic acid, which is not folate, it's different compounds. Because vitamin D, you know, you know, vitamin D is the same as vitamin D that you would get from the sun. Well, actually, it's not. The sun, it's it's a little different, but it the, what I'm saying is the vitamin D3 is the same as the one the skin makes from the sun, but you get other benefits from sunshine besides just vitamin D. But in any case, um, and you also get some exposure to radiation that can age your skin. So people have to balance that with getting minimal sunshine, but not none. And then getting a vitamin D, but not a huge amount. So we don't have to take a huge amount if we're getting balancing that everything out. So there's a kind of like some common sense that has to be used here. But yeah, I, I don't think there's if a person is deficient in B12 and they're taking a synthetic B12, that's fine. You don't have to eat 
you can, there's nothing wrong with the synthetic and all vitamins are synthetic. What is the, what's the, you know, I'm switching gears a bit to nutritional science because I love that kind of term, which is what we're talking about now. But what has been the most profound report or study that you found where, uh, you know, it was a major discovery on, you know, food and the benefits of some specific thing? And again, you can let your mind kind of go wherever you, you feel the most the, passion, but... I think what's most shocking to people, there's a few shocking aspects of modern nutritional science. One is, you know where most people in the, in the modern world gets their fats from? They get their fatty intake from eating oils and animal products. And when we found out that um, both oils and animal products are not the right way to get our fats, the most powerful effect to extend longevity is to get our fats from eating nuts and seeds and avocados and olives and not olive oil and not, not avocado oil and not sesame seed oil, but the whole food. And if you really want to extend life, you don't eat a processed food for the fat. You eat the whole original food it came in. So you eat the walnut, not the walnut oil. You eat the sesame seed, not the sesame oil for the fat. So the, so, and the studies show there, there's no, no other data around the world that has as much corroboration concordance from one study to another means that this study on 100,000 people showed that those people eating more than an ounce of nuts and seeds every day reduced their risk of heart attack by 40%. Now, here's another study with a different 100,000 people from a different part of the world with different researchers, and they showed the same thing, that those eating nuts and seeds every day had a 40% lower risk of heart attack. And we have 20 of those studies, different studies with large numbers of people, all showing for years and years and years, all showing the same exact outcome. And we're finding that, that, so you can't deny this anymore, that, that our primary source of fat should come from nuts and seeds. When we make salad dressings, we're blending sesame seeds and hemp seeds and almonds with, you know, with an orange and blood orange vinegar, or taking a thickened garlicky tomato sauce with almond butter, with almond butter in it and, and, you know, and um, a little black fig vinegar. We're making dressings and sauces and ice creams. We're making a delicious ice cream with frozen banana, real vanilla bean powder, and some macadamia nuts whipped up for the fat. We're not putting butter and heavy cream in there or whipping whipped cream. We're making our own creams and delicious desserts using nuts. So that's like totally a game changer for people. Because you have, and you have some of these plant-based people advocating people eat no fat and take all the nuts and seeds out of a diet. It's totally against what the studies show. The studies are conclusive. They're not controversial. And the, and the Adventist Health Study 2 study which corroborated the Adventist Health Study 1, showing about a 40% reduction in cardiovascular death and a 30% reduction in all deaths and a, a dramatic effects in cancer deaths as well from eating nuts and seeds as a source of fat. It was tested on different cohorts, vegans, non-vegans, flexitarians, those who ate less animal products, more animal products, Caucasians, Asians, young, old, male, female, and it showed in every cohort, the facts held the same and that not eating nuts and seeds was a major risk factor for premature death. And also for cardiac arrhythmia, that the body needs some fat in the diet, you know? And the average, and they also it showed that eating more than an ounce and a half a day had the most protection, more protection than people eating less than an ounce a day. So actually it was actually said eating more was better. Going for like one and a half to two ounces or one and a half to three ounces a day was actually more lifespan spent eating a smaller amount of nuts and seeds. So, and then, so we're talking here about eating flax seeds and chia seeds. And then there's a lot of studies showing dramatic effects on, against cancer on using flax seeds and chia seeds from the anti-breast cancer and prostate cancer effect of the lignans. So, I mean, I'm saying, are you putting, you know, seeds in your oatmeal every day? Are you putting salad dressings with mixing nuts and seeds? Or are you putting oil on your food? 
And oil is, is fattening and nuts and seeds, the calories are not all biologically accessible. Some of those fat calories pass through into the toilet bowl and they have a stronger effect at reducing at satiation on, on the apostat, making you feel like eating less. And oil pumps up the appetite and nuts and seeds turn it down and are associated with lower body weights too. So that's one of the major findings of nutritional science of the last decade. Very interesting. I uh, I appreciate you sharing that, and I'm I'm interested to hear the story. I mean, you grew up in New York, did you not? I did. I grew up in Yonkers, New York. So, uh, and how long did you live there for? Let's see. I lived there until about when I moved to when I was a when I graduated college. About 21, I moved to Tarrytown, which is also in Westchester County, near near that same area. Great. I lived there until I got married at about 30 years old. You know, I went to medical school at about 30. So I still lived in New York when I first got married. Then I went to medical school and, and went moved to um, and went to Penn, University of Pennsylvania. So I lived in the Philadelphia area um, through medical school. Then went back to Tarrytown, did my residency in New York. And then after that, moved to New Jersey. And I lived in Jersey there for 30 years, had my children in New Jersey and my four kids. And then the last three or four, three years or so, I lived here in San Diego. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I thought you moved sooner, but was there like, a, I got to get out of the city. I need to like live, you know, the, the you know, second half of my life in, uh, in California with the sunshine. And I wanted to move to California, you know, 30 years ago, but my wife's family, my wife had family and my, and my kids started school and stuff like that. So I just managed to, my son grad, when my son graduated high school, boom, I was out here. <laughs> and by that time, my wife was convinced to move out here because my kids were all out here. My children were all out living in California by that point. My son then went to UCSD. Well, he's going to Cal um, college out here. My, all, my daughters who are at, you know, between the ages of, my youngest daughter is 28. My oldest one's 35. And they're all living out here. So it was no brainer by then for us to move out here. And I got bought, a, you know, I bought some property here, my, which my daughter found, my daughter Jenna found this neighborhood that had some available acreage in a with gorgeous views near it with, a, out to the, with, a, um, with views out to the ocean. It's just gorgeous and um, great climate. And I bought these properties to build a retreat here. And I'm going to build my house right next door to the retreat. So I, it's like a second phase of my life. It's like an adventure and like a permanent vacation out here now, you know? Did you uh, go into a bit of a shock when you bought your acreage with uh, how many tools you had to buy? You know, I've... <laughs> It's a shock about the price of how much it's <laughs> here. You know what I mean? <laughs> but you don't pay much money for air conditioning and heat because it's like the, the temperature is always perfect. Like in the, yeah. at night, it's it's like it's sixty five degrees here. It's sixty to sixty five at night, even in the summer. It's not yeah. even you don't have to put air conditioning on. And in the, in the winter time, it doesn't even get hot. You don't have to put doesn't even get that cold. You don't even put heat on. Yeah. So, you know. So uh, in in kind of talking and rounding out, you know, this is a lifestyle wealth podcast. So where. What's it called? Uh, what's the peninsula called in San Diego where the the buds training is, or like the SEAL team, the Marines? What's uh, it's oh, like Imperial Beach or Coronado? Coronado? Yeah, so and it, 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 just north of the base, it's it's quite wealthy in there, right? Like it's a yeah, yeah it's, it's a, a very wealthy thing. area. You live there, even the condos there are very expensive. Right. So you sort of growing up and and seeing the New York wealth picture of what people think of wealth versus you know, San Diego, Coronado, you know, even hunting the beach and down in there, Newport beach, like the wealth there. Right. Is there a difference 
Is, is the word wealth seem different on either side of the country in your perspective? No. And you still have beautiful greenery. You know, I don't like city living. I think, you know, I love being out here in the country. And there's much, once you, you know, you can be closer to the city and still have more suburban or rural type plants and trees and land here for, for sure. And the ability to grow things with beautiful tropical, you know, plants. And I have now, I have more than a, a hundred different tropical and exotic fruit trees. I mean, you can't do that on the East Coast. And like, you can't really be, try to be self-sufficient in growing your own food that much, as much as you can out here. Um, so I don't know, I could see the attraction of why people would want to live out here because you can just, you know, you can be out playing tennis, hiking in the mountains and going to the beach. You know, you can do things. There's so much recreational activities and so much natural beauty. And I think it becomes more um, work and money involved on the East Coast. And here out here, it's more like, yeah, you work, but you also have more recreational activities, a better balanced life because you're balancing nature and recreation with with your work, too. So I think it's, um, you know, that's why I like it out here, you know. Well, no, it's I, I'm, I'm, you know, I showed you a video of kind of our place and what's kind of happening here. I can definitely appreciate it. I think the the caveat would be is do can you live that balance without sort of the hard work? You know, you've had 30 years of hard work uh, building your your brand and your your books and your practice. And then, you know, ha or have the ability to afford a beautiful place in this place. So could someone have that, you know, right away? Without the money and the hard work, maybe not. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna shift a bit too because I want to get this in. I think it's important. Back to the food. If you had children that were under 10 years old now, and you know what you know about food, what habits or traits would you start teaching them so that they led to a life of healthy eating? That's a good question. I wrote a book on that called "Disease Proof Your Child." By the way, perfect. No, Thank but you. It, but in any case. Yes, I'm suggesting that the family um, cultivates, you know, you could say a family group. Uh, we do this together as a whole and we strive for nutritional excellence because we love each other and we want us all to live long and healthy and maximize our potential for human survival, you know, for human achievement. Our brain, we think better, we're more creative, we're healthy, we don't get sick, we don't, you know, we don't develop an autoimmune disease like lupus, we don't, you know, we're allergies. So, you know, and also attention, the ability to do well in school, your intelligence is dependent on what you ate. My kids, I remember when my daughter, Kara, was four years old, we were at, at the gym, and she was in the kids' boot camp, and I was working out in the other part of the gym, and we met up at the afterwards, and she said to me, don't these parents love their children? And she's four years old. I said, of course they love their children. And she says, they're feeding them candy. <laughs> and I said, yeah, but they don't know that we know that what you eat makes who you are in later life and makes your body. And she said, how could they be so stupid then? And I said, well, they just, everybody does it. So they don't think about it. Well, they're not understand they're feeding their kids and destroying, hurting their kids' future potential and hurting their kids' health because they're, you know, I didn't go into all the scientific information that's at four years old, but my kids always were flabbergasted by the fact that parents were the major saboteurs of their children's health future. And they fed them so unhealthy. They could understand why people wanted to eat pizza and wanted to have ice cream. And but they thought that they could understand that those things tasted good and were attractive to people. But they didn't understand why parents brought donuts to soccer games 
And my parents seem to be the person, the people wanting to sabotage their own children's health. The parents should be saying, bringing them broccoli and watermelon and saying, don't have the pizza. And then if the kids arguing to have the pizza, they understood that, that the kid wanted those foods. They could never understand why the parents are sabotaging the kids. And I, you know, so we would, you know, so we would talk about the fact how, how, it, you know, people didn't know. And that's what we know. It's important to learn this information because this is real love. And why do I want you to eat healthy? Because I love you so much. And I want you to be, you know, be in great health. And you want me to be in great health. So when a parent would bring the kid into my office with asthma or an allergies or with some or with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis or something and say, I can't get my kid to eat healthy. Can you get them to eat healthy? And what should I feed them? I would turn it upside down. And I would say to the kid, I'd say, look, your parents are overweight. They're not eating healthfully. And they're really committing, shortening your lifespan. And you're going to be left, left with a parent that's dead at a young age if you don't get your parent to eat healthy. And they're addicted. Your parents became addicted to these foods when they were young. And you're young. You're not so addicted yet. We, let's you and I talk about how we can improve your parents' health. So I'd enlist the kid to try to get the parent in good health and say, if your father doesn't drop 10 pounds, he's in bad shape. And so you, you don't start by piling it on the kid. It has to be we're all in this together. So with my family, we would say, you know, um, you know, what do we think is acceptable as far as we're all going to encourage each other? I'm not going to, you know, could you guys, could you guys watch me and make sure I don't overeat or can you make sure I don't go out to a restaurant? I'm not going to have dessert and you make sure, and they'll say, yeah, we'll, we'll watch you that you don't have dessert. Well, no, we're all not going to have dessert. We're just going to have a, you know, we'll all go out. We'll just have a little fish and have some vegetables in a salad bar. We're not going to have dessert. We'll come home and make a, we'll make our own dessert when we get home at a frozen banana and real cocoa nibs and we'll do something, you know. And so we all, so we just, we, in other words, we made decisions as a family and we all kind of supported each other. It wasn't like our parents are just bashing on the kid to eat healthy. You know, you have to set the example and then you have to give you, and it's, it's not just with food. It's, it, it, it's the way you deal with children in general. I remember once my son was like whimpering in the corner when he was like four years old. And, you know, I don't know what it was. I told him he couldn't do, he wasn't allowed to do, but I walked over to him and I said, Sean, Let's say you were the father and I was the kid. And you love this child so much the way I love you. How would, what would you want? The, what would you say to me? And what would you want the child to do in this case? If you knew the child was doing something against their own. And so he was, so he stopped whimpering and he looked up at me and went, oh, I get it. Okay. And he just went off and went, went and played. You know what I mean? Yeah. We didn't see it as against him anymore. You know, he saw it. I said, wait, you make the decision. And my kids, we never forced them to do anything. We just let them make their own decisions. Even when they went out, whether the, what to eat, should they have pizza? Should they have junk food at a birthday party or not? We just educated them. And Millet said, you know, you make the choice. You know, it's good. There's a good, there's a good healthy version of it at home. It's up to you. And then sometimes they made a choice to have a little bit and sometimes they didn't. And, and when they didn't feel like they were uh, um, guilty, they just were felt that they, Develop the ability to love healthy food. And we taught we taught them all this great healthy recipes to make in the house. They shared with their friends. Oh, taste my like strawberry pineapple sorbet that we make in my house. It's really delicious. You know, it's so good. We put lemon in it. It's so great. And they were like bragging to their friends about their pops, about their fudgesicles they made with cashew nuts and and real and carob. And um, you know what I mean. So we had a. But in any case, they would play around. And I'd say to my son when he was little, I'd say. Um, Sean, you can't eat too much of that kale and that kale dish, don't you? Know, because I need that for my strength, for my work. And you, if you eat too much, you're going to get too strong anyway. You'll be stronger than me. I can't have you being stronger than me. So he would eat. So he'd run over and give me a push 
you know, eat the kale and, and I, I, I fall back and I'm against the couch and do a backflip over the couch and say, get that kale away from that kid. He's getting too strong. You know? <laughs> and we just made it fun. And we taught we do a whole, them. We yeah. do a whole podcast on, uh, I think a lot of parents would be very appreciative and, and uh, I'm super appreciative and, and we'll look at your book because I think it's, it's important. You've got a new book or a recent book out, Eat for Life. I think we should uh, bookend and hear about Eat for Life. And then we want to know where can people find more information about what you offer. Thank you. Well, well, Eat for Life is my most recent, and it's the New York Times bestseller book. And I think that it's good to get the one with the updated references and the most updated research. There's more than, more than a thousand research studies in there documenting the efficacy and loads of clinical case studies about people reversing disease. So many people getting well from multiple sclerosis and and um, reversing heart disease and diabetes and psoriasis and arthritis, all these things. But in any case, um, I really think it could be tremendously informative, but also motivational for people to realize that we have an overwhelming amount of evidence how to target a diet so we don't have to fear disease. I'm saying something radical right now. I'm saying we can wipe out cancer, you know, except for exceedingly rare cancers and things related to maybe asbestos exposure or something or, you know, chemical, but we could wipe out probably more than 95% of common cancers. And I, and, and plus nobody has to have a heart attack or a stroke. Those are, that's like baby nutrition to prevent that. You know, that's like, um, it's incredible that people are dying prematurely of diseases that we know are nutritionally caused and you don't have to have that happen to you and you can make it taste great. And we make the food taste great too. You know, so it's like a no brainer. Where can we find you, Dr. Joel? Uh, Drfurman.com, D-R- F-U-H-R-M-A-N.com, drfurman.com. I have a lot of other, you know, a lot of people, um, a lot of, you know, products and services to help people learn, incorporate this information and learn how to really um, do it comfortably and make it taste good and love doing this, you know. I am I am appreciative for your time and I, I learned a ton. I took a bunch of notes, which is awesome. And uh, I look forward to to staying in touch with uh, with your program. So thank you. Thank you for being on the show today. My pleasure. Good luck to you, of course, and all your listeners. If you found this episode valuable, share it with a friend. If you found this episode super valuable, leave us a review on iTunes. It will help us continue to bring you top quality content. For more information on anything discussed on this show, visit www.servicewealth.com. That's service spelled S-E-R-V-I-S-S. Any investment topics covered on the show are not investment recommendations, and you should seek professional advice before making any investment decisions. This show was produced by Podigy Podcasts. Thanks for listening.